0: welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. We're going to continue our study this evening of the life of Barnabas. I invite you to take your Bibles. We're going to begin in Acts, though our text this evening will be in Galatians. But as we continue to look at this man, of character, we began last week of, of looking at the life of Barnabas. He's one of those individuals in Scripture that we read his name on a number of occasions, but know very little about him. His name speaks of consolation, of, of character, just by the very name itself. He, his name was actually Joseph. And the disciple of the apostles renamed him Barnabas because of his compassion, his exhortation of others. He's mentioned twenty-nine times in the New Testament. Twenty-four of those times are in Acts, and it's usually in connection with somebody else. He wrote none of the New Testament, but he invested in the lives of of men who wrote over a third of it. Someone has said that he's well, he's not as well known, it's really unfair to call him one of the lesser lights because of the impact that he had. And I think it's good for us to look at somebody like Barnabas. As I mentioned last week, it's, it's easy to see the life of a Peter and Paul, and yet, you know, not many people rise to that level of service. But to be able to serve like a, a Barnabas... I gave you the the quote. I read it last week. I'll put it up for you this week uh, by Phillips Brooks, that while it's good to walk among the living, it is good also to live among the wise, great, and good dead. It makes us always know that God made other men before he made us. It furnishes a constant background for our living, and it provides us with humility and inspiration. You know, I wonder what Barnabas thought... When the apostles renamed him that. When he's known by Joseph or Joseph, as we find him in Acts chapter 4, and they said, we're, we're going to nickname you son of consolation. I wonder if that encouraged him that he would strive to be faithful, or if it was very humbling thinking I'll never live up to that. But we find in his life that example of faithfulness. And we considered this, this last week as we began looking at him as a, as a man of, of compassion, of character, and, and seeing how that played out. You know, with, with positive traits, though, there is also a negative side. For every positive quality, if we're not careful, there's a ditch on the other side. A, a person who is frugal can also become stingy. <laughs> Someone who's persistent can be viewed as inflexible, stubborn, headstrong. Someone who's sincere can come across or be gullible, overly serious. Someone who's discerning can be viewed as judgmental, critical. The enthusiastic can be too aggressive or overbearing. And, and, and we can go on like that. We could see, and, and with somebody who's compassionate, they could be viewed as sentimental, sentimental or taking up the offenses of others. But what we find with this man is his very name tells us something about him. He's actually known for his excellent heart rather than his verbal eloquence. We, we know that he speaks, and he was proficient in that. He was a teacher. He, he was involved in that at the church at Antioch. But we don't really see him in that light. What we see is him encouraging And his positive qualities. Barnabas was a man that was patient. He was compassionate. In fact, his whole life displays that that character quality. And there's a couple of instances that I think are good for us to consider. And I want to have you go with me to Acts chapter 11. At the end of Acts chapter 11, we find the church taking up a collection for the church in Antioch, taking up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. The believers in Judea who are struggling because of the the famine that was taking place there. And so they they collect this money, this predominantly Gentile church takes up this collection to send to a predominantly Jewish church. And it says in verse 30 of chapter 11, and they sent, they also did, and they sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so we, we see this taking place. When we come to chapter 12, we, we find of Herod's violence against the church. And, and then later on we, we find in at the end of that that at chapter 12, verse 25, that Barnabas and Saul return from Jerusalem they fulfill their mission they've taken the money they've helped the church there and when they come back it says in chapter at the end of chapter 12 verse 25 and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they also took with them John whose surname is Mark now well we learn elsewhere in scripture that John Mark was a cousin of Barnabas but they bring him back that that his his mother Barnabas's aunt would, was living there in Jerusalem. They bring Mark with them. And so they come back to the church at Antioch. Several weeks ago we looked at this church sending forth the first mission team in chapter 13. We find them going out and when they go they take John Mark with them. And so we had considered this, that, that this is the team that is sent out. The Holy Spirit selects uh, both Barnabas and Saul and sends them forth and they take John Mark. It's is kind of a, a missions intern, it would seem. He's with them as they go. He's, he's their assistant on this mission trip. And something happens along the way. We're not given any details, but it was serious enough that, that he decided this wasn't for him. And so it says in chapter 13 of Acts, in verse 13 that as they, they come, as, they, as they're traveling, as this trip continues, it says, when Paul and his party set sail from Paphos and they came to Perga and to Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. And one of the things that we find in, the, in Acts is these thoughts are dropped. We're, we're, kind, we're given these seeds of something that's going to come later. You know, sometimes those less familiar with the Bible have the benefit of the freshness. We, we that know it, we read this and say, okay, we know what's going to come later. But, but to understand, this is a foreshadowing. There is a tension that has arisen here that is not yet resolved and will not be for some time. And all we're given at this point is kind of a, a wait and see. That, that something is going to happen. And, and it's actually going to be a couple of years. years are, a couple of years are going to pass. The missionary journey is completed. They, they go back to Antioch. Then there's a meeting in Jerusalem. A Jerusalem council takes place. And Paul and Barnabas come back to Antioch where they're preaching and teaching. And at this point, Paul believes it's time to return to the mission field. Now let me have you go to chapter 15 because this is where we're going to find the, this caring of Barnabas, but it's actually coming to where there's going to be a, a, a problem, and we're going to find this in chapter 15. In chapter 15, we find in verse 36, let me turn there, in verse 36, and after some, then after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. So Barnabas took Mark and and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And now, several years later, over a couple of chapters, we find that there is a breach. We find a couple of things in this. One is we see Barnabas wants to take Mark. He, He has a patience for another person's failure. And one of the strengths that we see is he, he wants to give John Mark another chance. As I mentioned, we, we have no understanding, no idea of what took place that caused, caused him to go back. We, we've read, when you read the, of the first part of that mission trip, there were some challenges, there were some difficulties. Maybe he said, you know, this isn't for me. But whatever it was, he wanted to, he, he bailed on them. And that was a, that was a serious thing to Paul. Barnabas sees that there's still something in this man, and, and he's worth salvaging. And when we read these verses, we find that the disagreement was very sharp. There was a strong disagreement that, that here is, is Barnabas saying, no, he needs to come with us, and, and Paul saying, absolutely not. He is, Paul is insisting this is not happening. And when you understand, and as we looked last week, that it was actually Barnabas who who really befriended Saul when he came to Jerusalem when when the other disciples were saying, We're we're not comfortable with this guy. We know his previous reputation and we're not convinced that he's truly trusted Jesus Christ. It was Barnabas who came alongside. It was Barnabas that took a chance on Saul. I wonder if that was part of the discussion. If Barnabas saying, look, I I took a chance on you, you need to take a chance on on Mark. On the other side, you have Paul saying, I'm not going down this road. I'm not not risking the ministry for this. And and one of the challenges in ministry, and and we find this, is that it takes judgment decisions. You know, there there are some things that are very clear cut, and and yet there are others that, that are we willing to take a chance here? And how is this going to work out? This disagreement was not a minor issue. And understand, these missionaries, these two, Barnabas and Saul, have a friendship going back 15 years by this point. This is not just a new situation. These are friends who owe a great deal to each other. And I would say Paul is saying, you know, this isn't personal, it's ministry. He bailed on us before. We can't take a chance. Barnabas sees God's working in John Mark's heart and says, look, he, you know, God is working. We need to, we need to encourage this. Barnabas is saying, I, I'm not, and, and it comes to the point where not, there is no point that, that they can compromise. Barnabas says, I'm not going without John Mark. And Paul says, he's not coming with me. It's not personal, it's ministry. It's ministry. Where Barnabas is saying, yes, but it's, it's ministry to him. Now, we read this and say, okay, so who's right? The Bible really doesn't tell us. There may be a hint there in verse 40 that the, where it makes the statement that Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, but, but that's really all we have. What we do see is now there are two mission teams. And both of them are going forth and serving the Lord. And, and these are not men who are now enemies, they are still friends in ministry. And so understanding that this takes place, but that there, there are judgment calls, because there's no scripture that says, you know, when a young missionary intern bails out on his first trip, you have to wait, you know, X number of years before he can go again. There, there's nothing like that. And, and I say this because often this is what happens in ministry. Well, I don't know if I would use them in that place. Well, maybe that's not the place. But understanding that, that these are situations where there, there takes that discernment. And we lo- saw last week that, that Barnabas had discernment. Paul has discernment. First Thessalonians 5.14, we have the principle given that we're to, to comfort the faint-hearted or encourage the faint-hearted. What is Barnabas' name? Son of encouragement. To help the weak, to be patient with all. And, and so we see that, that Barnabas is saying, we, we need to be patient with Mark. On the other side, the Bible also says that, that those who are serving, the leaders in the church, have to be above reproach. They have to be well-tested. So on one side, you have the stressing of God's mercy. On the, the other, the, the importance of commitment and God's call. And and some decisions are governed with clear commands, but not all of them. And this would be one of those. And I I say this because most of our life involves making principled decisions where things aren't always clear. That's why we have to ask for wisdom. And now we see two teams going out. I, I like what Matthew Henry said about this. He said, even those who are united to one and the same Jesus... And sanctified by one and the same spirit have different opinions, different views, and different sentiments in points of prudence. It will be so while we are in the state of darkness and imperfection. We shall never be all of a mind till we come to heaven where light and love are perfect. So that's why we have to pray for wisdom from above, which is gentle, easy to be entreated. In this situation, we don't have a lot of details. All we know is that they got to the point where this wasn't going to work. And understanding that a spiritual mind is necessary for proper discernment. Both of these men had discernment. Both of them want to see God glorified. Both of them really have a burden for ministry and a concern for others. Paul is concerned about their outreach. And going into these other back to these churches and making sure the ministry is going forward. Barnabas has a concern for ministry, but also for Mark. Paul's saying, I'm not taking a chance. But I think both of them have a focus where they're wanting to see God glorified. And understanding that, that I don't I don't think we have to see this as all bad. As I mentioned, there's there's now two mission teams going out. Ministry is actually being multiplied. And, and while Scripture does not follow the, the life of Barnabas, the ministry of Barnabas and Mark, we do find later that, that Mark becomes very valuable. In fact, Paul writes in 2 Timothy, his, his last letter as he's about to die, he writes to Timothy and he says, he says bring Mark because he is useful for the ministry. Why was he useful? Because Barnabas took a chance on him. Barnabas invested in his life. Useful because Mark responded properly. Was it the compassion of, of Barnabas? Probably. Was it also the correction of Paul? Possibly. But whatever it was, God used this. And now we have two mission teams going out. And we can be thankful that God allows those second choices. Those second chances. We see that with Barnabas. This is the positive side of his patience and compassion. But there's also a negative side. And I want us to consider this and, and learn and be challenged by this as well. And let me have you turn now to Galatians chapter 2. This is not as positive a, a situation. There's a defending of apostolic authority that is, has to take place against the Judaizers. And initially, the situation here is encouraging. If you look at verse 9 of Galatians chapter 2, it says, And when James and Cephas, that's Peter, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, that's Paul, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Now in these verses we we see that, that there is a doctrinal and personal harmony. There's a unity here. You, you've got the pillars of the church in Jerusalem in, in, in these men, in James, the, the brother of Jesus, the in Cephas, and John. You, you've got these men, and, and now Barnabas and Saul. And there's a harmony together. You know, th- this is an amazing group together right here. There, there's only one gospel passage where these men Come together like this and demonstrate the truth. And between them, they wrote 21 of the 27 New Testament books. And, and so we see them, the unity in the gospel. The, the men of reputation, back in verse 2 of this, it says, I went up by revelation and communicated with them that the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles, but, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or head run in vain. So these men of reputation we now find in verse 9 are James, Cephas, and John, who seem to be the pillars. And they give that right hand to fellowship. This isn't just a, a handshake and welcome, we're glad to have you here. This was a statement of commitment, of partnership, of, of a vow of, of friendship or fellowship. This was, this was that they were uniting in ministry that they were committing to one another to, to carry out their God-given responsibility, to, to see the gospel go forth. And, and they see that God is, is going to use Paul and Barnabas to go to the Gentiles. Well, they would continue to go to the Jews. And so Paul now is recognized as a true preacher, as a teacher of the gospel and, and the good news, the partnership of that, his, his apostolic authority, his uh, apostleship to the Gentiles, it's viewed as equal to Peter's apostolic ministry to the Jews. And, and that in of itself was a blow to the Judaizers who wanted the Gentiles to come under the law. This, this is part of the, the backstory of what's taking place here. They they had claimed that the Gentiles needed to follow the law to be circumcised if they were going to be saved. That they had to go through some of the rituals that the Jews did. That that to have a right relationship with God, it was was the gospel through Jesus Christ and the works of the law. And what they were really teaching was there had to be human merit. That that it wasn't done, it was also must do. And, And so while the Judaizers recognized Jesus as the Messiah, they didn't see that it was complete. And so this is a gospel issue. This is the very heart of the battle that is taking place. And, and so we see this taking place. Now the scene is going to shift. It shifts, it shifts to a situation that took place in Antioch. Look at verse 11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in a manner of the Gentile and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to? To live as Jews. And we, we see this rebuke now taking place as they've come back to Antioch. And, and in this passage, we find that this scene has shifted and, and to a point that, that Peter has come and he has been swept into this. You know, th- this is a serious situation. Because while there was this wonderful doctrinal and personal harmony at one point, now we see doctrinal and ethnic division in verses 11 through 14. And so Paul publicly denounces, he stands and opposes Peter, and he he tells him, you're taking a position that you know is wrong. What we see is there were subtle cliques that were starting to form in the church at Antioch. And Peter was part of that. Peter was compromising with the Judaizers, and it was going to do great damage to this church. That if it weren't stopped, it wasn't something, well, maybe we can work through this. No, Paul realized this is going to not only damage the church, it's going to damage the gospel. Because Peter is now bringing the Jews one direction. It's the influence of the Judaizers. He's afraid of them, so he's no longer willing to to fellowship with the Gentiles. It's like, okay, well, you know, you have your Gentile ABF over there. We'll have our Jewish ABF over here. And Paul is saying, no, this is wrong. We're we're one in Christ. And so he withstands Peter to his face. He's he's shocked by the, the... hypocrisy of this but what's interesting is the statement carries an element of shock that even barnabas would get swept up in this if you notice how it was stated it says even barnabas was was carried away there's not the same denunciation of barnabas that that paul had for peter and it was like how could barnabas get caught up in this the one who had first befriended and defended Paul. The one when, when he was saved who had nurtured him, who had, who had shepherded him with the Christians first in Jerusalem and then a second time at Antioch. Because when Barnabas had come to, to Antioch and he realized, I need help, instead of going back to Jerusalem and getting more help, he went further up to Tarsus and found Saul and brought him down. And now he introduces him to a second church. Why do you think Barnabas would be influenced like that? Well, when we read this passage, it would seem that there was a fear of man. But I personally think it was probably because he was so concerned about people, his concern for their their feelings that he didn't want anybody to get offended. And in looking at this, this aspect and then siding with them, but notice what's at stake here. It really is the gospel. In verse 14, it says, when I saw they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel. This wasn't a minor, we want different refreshments in our ABF. This wasn't even a personal issue. This was a gospel issue. I heard a a pastor say many years ago, some boats are made to be rocked. (laughs) When it comes to the gospel, that needs to happen. And Paul is seeking to protect the gospel. He has a concern, and I think there are some lessons that we can learn from this. We see, first of all, that even gifted ministers are capable of significant error. You know, we live in a day of phenomenal technology, we can hear sermons on, on our phones. They're on the radio. We can get them through the internet. There are podcasts. Our sermons from Tri-City go up on on sermon audio, and there are thousands and thousands of sermons available. And then there are all sorts of other sources as well. And and while these are great tools and they're a, a wonderful blessing, there's also a danger. Who holds these people accountable? Paul held Peter accountable. As a church, I'm accountable to, to you. And as you hear the preaching of God's word, you need to examine what you hear in light of what God's word says. And we have to make sure it lines up with Scripture, not our favorite internet author or speaker. If Paul, if, if Peter and Barnabas can stumble, others can too. And we need to understand that and remember that because it's easy to say, oh, I really like this person. I really like this preacher. I really... And there's nothing wrong with that. But we can't like them more than we love God's word. This has to be the source for, for truth. The second one is, is faithfulness involves more than right doctrine. It includes right living. Part of the problem here, and we see that in verse 13, was hypocrisy. The doctrine was right, but the conduct, conduct was hypocritical. So what they were saying was fine, but how they were living it out was not. Hypocrisy, is, we've said, is pretending to be what you don't intend to be. It doesn't mean that we're not perfect. It doesn't mean that we don't stumble. That's not what we're saying. But when we pretend to be what we don't intend to be, that's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy hinders the gospel. The fear of man hinders the gospel that's what's taking place here the fear of man brings a snare a third one is the truth must take priority over outward harmony you know the the sons of encouragement like barnabas are vulnerable to minimizing the importance of truth for the sake of relationship and that that's a a danger that we face today you know, we, we, have, we live in a very relational culture, which is a good thing in, in sharing the gospel, of developing relationships, of discipleship. Those are, those are great things, and we need those relationships. That's, that's why we have things like our men's breakfast. We have different activities so that we can build those relationships. But we can never allow the relationship to take the place of righteousness. We, we have to be living by principle. And recognizing how important this is, that that the hypocrisy is hindering the gospel. But one of the dangers for a person like a Barnabas, who's the son of exhortation is, the inclination and the willingness to stand up for people can also be a, a, a hesitation to stand up to people. He was willing to stand up for Mark. But now there's a hesitation and recognizing that... Do you think this was difficult for Paul? I mean, Barnabas got pulled in, but Paul did not. Barnabas has been saved longer than Paul. He may be older than Paul. He's certainly been in ministry longer. He's been introducing Paul to ministry. And yet, Paul didn't have that same empathy for the Jews who had come from Jerusalem that Barnabas did. And as I've already mentioned, Barnabas had family in Jerusalem. Maybe that had something to do with it. John Mark was from there. But, but Paul's orientation was very much toward the truth. His focus on ministry was so gospel-centered that the emotions, the opinions of others didn't carry the same weight for him that it did for Barnabas. And Now, there are downsides for, to his... Type of personality as well. But if you want to see Paul's attitude, his focus, look across the page or over a page at chapter 1, verse 8. It says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. He's making a very strong statement. In fact, if you go back to, if you go over to chapter 5, He's concerned because they're, they're really trying to push these Judaizers. They're saying that the Gentiles have to be circumcised. That's part of, of keeping the law, and that's part of their identification. If they're going to follow Christ, if they're going to be truly saved, and Paul's having none of it. And he says in verse 12 of chapter 5, I wish that those who trouble you would, be even, would cut themselves off. And he's being very graphic here. But he's saying, I am so concerned about the gospel that whatever it takes to per- protect it, 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 whether, where that is them mutilating themselves, but the gospel has to be protected. And understanding that disposition probably did not earn Paul the name of son of encouragement. I don't think anybody thought, you know, we ought to call Paul Barnabas too. I don't think that was happening. Do You see, both of these are needed. That protection of the truth and sometimes that's difficult that that it's you know we hear people say well we need to just overlook doctrine for unity we can't do that now we need to overlook our personal opinions we need to come with a humility there needs to be a grace and we can't major on the minors but doctrine is what unites us it also is what divides us from error Remember years ago when I was pastoring in Maine, and, and one day this, this lady stopped by, and, and it was years ago, so she gave me a video she wanted to, me to watch. And she said, We're, we're having this great get together. We're trying to get all the churches to come together for the sake of families. And it was going to be happening in the, the town, just next town over, and, and it, they said, We want it was the American Clergy Leadership Conference. And they were doing it internationally, they wanted 144,000 churches and mosques and synagogues, temples, to all get together. And, and so she had dropped this off. I said, okay, thank you. I'll look at him, We're, but we won't be part of it. Not long after that, I had a gentleman walk in. And, and I'd done a little research and found out, well, they're, they're calling this the, you know, they want this to be this American clergy leadership conference. It was being sponsored by Reverend Sung Young Moon. Some of you remember that name the Unification Church, better known as the Moonies. And, and this was their background. And so he comes into our church. I'm standing and meeting him in the hallway, and he's trying to get me into... And I said, we're not going to be part of this. And he's got two ladies with him that were not from America and did not understand English very well. And I could tell because what I was saying to him was very direct, and they're smiling and nodding in agreement. And it's like, if you knew what I was saying, you would not be nodding in agreement. And I was telling, because he said, well, let's just, can we just have a word of prayer together? And I said, no, I'm not praying with you. I said, I will pray for you, but I will not pray with you. Because I knew he'd walk out of our church, he'd go down the street and say, well, yeah, I was just down, prayed with the Baptist pastor. It's like, no, I said, I'll pray for you. I said, but we don't pray to the same God. We don't serve the same God. We, we are not going the same place. And I'm saying this, and the, the ladies are standing there nodding and smiling. I'm thinking, you have no idea. But I I tell you this because we, we have to understand that truth takes priority over that outward harmony. What fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? And understanding the importance of this. A fourth one is error cannot be ignored regardless of the consequences. In Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, I, I gave all diligence to write to you concerning our, our common salvation. Jude said, I, I really wanted to write this letter about our salvation and just the joy of that. But he said, but it was more needful for me to write and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. You know, There is a faith that has been delivered to the saints, once delivered. There is a faith worth than worth contending for that you would earnestly contend for that once delivered faith you know there's a faith worth dying for and that we would understand the importance of this that, that if the truth is lost salvation is lost and that all believers are called to be contenders and so Jude is writing saying, I'm, I'm writing that you would earnestly contend for the faith and that faith is repeatedly threatened from both without and within the church. That's what Paul is dealing with here. There is a threat coming from within the church from an apostle. And Paul said, I had to rebuke Peter. And he was amazed that even Barnabas could be led astray. You know, it's that desire for relationship. Frankie Schaefer said this, everyone wants to be a nice guy. No one wants to be the bad guy. Bad guys are disruptive to cozy fellowships. As a result of well-meaning efforts on the part of many to be nice, the cutting edge of Christianity is being dulled. It's certainly certainly correct to say that evangelical courtesy has seriously watered down its witness. And realizing that, we must guard against civility that breeds timidity. There, There has to be a willingness to stand. Now, to do it with the right spirit... But understand that we have to respond biblically to the truth. And seeing that Paul is saying, I withstood Peter because this was a gospel issue. He was undermining the truth. A fifth one is, past dependability does not guarantee future obedience. We see this with both, with both Peter and Barnabas. Remember back in Acts 11, verse 24, Barnabas was said to be a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. But now he's he's not allowing the Holy Spirit to guide him. It's the fear of man that is guiding him. And it's allowing a spirit of error to make an inroad. And so the caution there in one: God's purpose will triumph through weakness and failures. You know, I've I've given you two snapshots of the life of Barnabas this evening. So we began in Acts, and we looked at that one and and his burden for John Mark, and then this one in in Galatians. But the way we've looked at them is actually in reverse order. This one here in, in Galatians took place before that. While he was temporarily swayed, it was probably a result of Paul's public rebuke of Peter that brought Barnabas back on track. So he goes on to serve the Lord at Antioch. He goes on the missionary journey with John Mark. And then in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 6, after their separation, when when Paul has gone with Silas and and Barnabas has gone with John Mark, Paul refers to Barnabas as a fellow worker. So that's why I said these were not enemies. These are friends who had a disagreement and continued to serve the Lord. And God used Barnabas greatly. Mark became very valuable for ministry. And God brought a victory out of this this disagreement, the contention that came, because both of them were seeking the glory of God rather than their own selfish desires. Was it Paul's rebuke or Barnabas' patience that changed Mark? I think it was probably some of both. The concern of Barnabas, but the caution of realizing that a godly apostle had concerns. And we see the triumph that comes out of that. And and we see that God is a God of second chances. Because neither of these men, Barnabas or Paul, had a selfish focus. They both had a heart for ministry, and they both had a heart for the gospel. Barnabas was a man of patience and compassion. How do we avoid those kinds of errors, though? And I think it, it helps to realize we have to have right doctrine and right relationships. Be anchored in the Word. Know the Word of God. Paul was committed to the truth. If anybody, including an angel, preaches another gospel, let him be accursed. Be governed by biblical principle. Make sure it is God's Word that drives and directs our lives. That we would would be in the Word as we considered this morning that we would listen to God's Word. When God speaks through His Word that we would respond in obedience and then be invested in the lives of others. There really was a focus on others. We we see that that compassion can lead to compromise. That's the other ditch. But being anchored in the Word, governed by principle, and invested in the lives of people will keep us focused in a way that we truly can see God work. And one of the things that we strive to do at Tri-City Baptist Church is to disciple, to mentor, to invest in the lives of others as we have students both in our academy and in our college and seminary, that we can invest to see them go forth into the the work of the ministry. Let us, too, be on guard that, while we want to show that compassion, that we always keep it governed by the principle, but that we don't allow the principle to become such that we lose sight of people, that we need both in serving the Lord, and that we, too, would be a church that raises up men like Barnabas, that will go forth into ministry, investing in John Marks and seeing God work. Let's pray together.